I'm Jane Velez Mitchell, New York Times bestselling author and TV journalist. And this is Unchained TV's Voice America podcast. For the next hour, you will hear the solution to most of the problems that plague our world. And it's a solution mainstream media ignores, even though it only requires us to make one simple change. Want to know what it is and transform your life? Let's get started. All right, we are so we are so excited to have the one and only Ocean Robbins, the head of Food Revolution Network and the author of an extraordinary bestseller, 31 Day Food Revolution in the house here on Unchained TV. Thank you so much for joining us. What is your revolution, Ocean? We live in a, a toxic food culture where junk food and processed foods and industrialized animal products are mainstreamized, they're normalized, they're subsidized, they're advertised, and they're killing us. You know, uh, the industrialized food system has become the most environmentally destructive force on the planet, but it's also the primary leading driver of sickness and disease for humanity. According to the United Nations, preventable chronic illness prematurely ended the lives last year of 41 million people worldwide. And preventable chronic illness is preventable. That means we could do something about it. And the number one differentiator that can tilt the odds in our favor turns out to be the food on our plates. So we're calling for a food revolution, not this food that's a little bit less bad, because we need a fundamental shift in the way we produce food, the way we, the way we consume food, the way we prepare food, so that it's healthy for us and also healthy for our planet. And you look so happy in all of your photos, holding up fruits and vegetables and nuts and grains. And you explain that you can revolutionize how you feel and transform the world. And yet so many people just either don't want to hear the message or have been brainwashed into thinking this is some kind of sacrifice. And it's some kind of almost like they're being penalized when actually it is a gift and it is transformative and it's fun. How are you changing uh, the image of eating healthy, eating fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, and legumes? Well, a lot of us think that, uh, that happiness comes from foods that put smiles on our faces real quick, like ice cream or cookies or mac and cheese. These are what a lot of us call comfort foods, right? And there's no question about it. Ice cream has brought a lot of smiles to a lot of faces. My grandpa started Baskin Robbins Ice Cream Company. My dad, John, rather famously walked away from the ice cream cone-shaped swimming pool in his backyard to follow his own rocky road and become a a best-selling author writing about food and health issues with Diet for New America. There you have it on the screen. but uh, my, my grandpa in the 1950s came up with one of the world's most iconic slogans. It was, we make people happy. And there's no doubt ice cream has brought a lot of smiles. But I think what we're learning today is that in the long run, there is more happiness in health than in sickness. There is more happiness in having the blood flow in your body that lets you be alive and have energy. There's more happiness in balanced blood sugar that gives you resilience and peace. There's more happiness in a clear mind that not only prevents dementia, but also helps you remember the things that matter the most to you. And that kind of happiness comes from health and vitality. And when you eat foods that respond to your long-term well-being, you maybe stop asking, what do I want now? And start asking, what do I want 
most, then you unlock so much energy and vitality and peace and joy. So what I'm trying to do with, with this message is to let folks know that you can have more joy, more gusto, more pleasure when you're alive, when your taste buds and your whole body have the circulation that you need to thrive. You can have more energy and a clearer mind and deeper sleep and even better sex because there's more vitality in your body. And that comes from healthy food. So I'm trying to spread the word about this because we need to fundamentally rethink and rewire our brains around what is the relationship between food and pleasure. A lot of folks think, oh, I'm gonna give up all these yummy things that I love so that I can just be some kind of ascetic. But no, you can have more pleasure and more delight and more aliveness and healthy food can taste really good when you know what to do with it. Now, when you hear the name Robbins, you think of Baskin Robbins and your grandfather founded the company, considered the most successful ice cream company in the world. Your dad, John Robbins, walked away from an empire, walked away from yeah. uh, being the heir to this incredibly profitable company in order to write Diet for a New America and start the food revolution. Um, so many people are fascinated by this because we operate on the assumption that we are motivated primarily by money, power, and prestige. Right. And that was a complete rejection of those three things to follow the road less traveled. Can you break down that story for us? Because so many people really are fascinated by it. Absolutely. So, you know, my dad grew up uh, groomed to one day become the heir to what, as you mentioned, was to become the world's most successful ice cream company. It grew into thousands of stores. And uh, when he was uh, in his early 20s, he was offered that chance. But at that point, his uncle, Bert Baskin, my grandpa's brother-in-law and business partner, was dying of heart disease. And my dad decided he didn't want to spend his life selling a product that might contribute to more people like his uncle getting sick, to more kids like his cousins losing their dads. He, he couldn't do that. So, so he ended up walking away. And as we like to say in our family, following his own rocky road. And, and he moved with my mom to a little island off the coast of Canada where they built a one-room log cabin, practiced yoga and meditation for several hours a day, grew most of their own food, and named their kid Ocean. And by the way, Jane, they almost named me Kale. This was way before <laughs> Kale was cool. So I guess I should count my blessings. They made the more conservative choice when they named their kid. But we did eat a lot of kale and other veggies from the garden. And our diet was really simple. It was based around fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and legumes and whole grains and a lot, lot, lot of sprouts. And, uh, and then, you know, as I got a little older, we moved to California and my dad ended up coming out with the book Diet for New America, which really challenges the status quo about how our food choices affect our health, our happiness and the future of life on earth. It became a runaway bestseller. Now, let me say my grandpa had been really mad and hurt when my dad had walked away from the company. I mean, he'd spent his life building a company he was proud of. His dream was to share it with his only son. His son's walking away. But now when the book came out, uh, my grandpa Irv wound up suffering from serious diabetes and heart disease and weight issues. And his doctors tell him at this point on this remarkable day, they tell him, that he's very sick. He's likely to lose an arm or a leg to his diabetes if a heart attack doesn't kill him first, but that if he wants to get well, he should read a book 
called Diet for New America, and they give it to him. Now, apparently, my grandpa's doctors did not realize that the book they were giving to their patient was written by their patient's maverick son who had rejected his life's work. They didn't know any of that, but my grandpa Irv did, of course. He didn't tell the doctors. He did read the book. He ended up making big changes. He cut way down on his meat and dairy consumption, started eating way less sugar and processed foods, eating way more vegetables and whole plant foods. He even gave up ice cream. And wow. Grandpa Irv got results. He ended up losing a bunch of weight. He reversed his diabetes and heart disease, got off most of his medications. And his favorite part was that his golf game improved seven <laughs> strokes. You know, my favorite part was that he lived 19 more healthy years. And I thought for the first time in my life that he seemed happy. So we really have seen in our family how powerful food can be to shape our destiny. It can hurt us or it can heal us. And we've, we've seen this. And now it's time, I think, to spread the word about this as widely as we can. So that's why I ended up joining with uh, my dad and launching Food Revolution Network. I started a new family business uh, 12 years ago, and uh, we now have about 700,000 members. And our mission is healthy, ethical, sustainable food for all. We want to help change the way the world eats for the positive so we can have more vitality and joy and pleasure and happiness. And so we can be a part of the solution on planet Earth. Well, we've got a bunch of callers. Paige in Los Angeles, your question or thought for Ocean Robbins of Food Revolution Network. Hello, Ocean. It's so great to connect with you again. I am intrigued by your 31-day Food Revolution book, and you say it's a, a guide to liberation uh, from toxic food. Let me ask you a couple of questions. You were 16 when you went vegan. Is that right? Uh, well, I was, I was raised vegetarian from birth. Um, and actually I, I first went vegan when I was 10. Um, my, uh, dad was researching diet for new America and we started, my family started learning more about the way that dairy cows are treated and the impact of dairy on human health. And we, our whole family kind of went vegan all at the same time, gave up dairy when I was 10. And, you know, interestingly, that was the moment that I found out that I had a dairy allergy. I, I'd never known that. I thought it was just normal to be stuffy. And suddenly I was like, oh my gosh, this is what it's like to breathe through your nose and be able to smell the world. I didn't even know there was any other possibility. And that's when I realized it. So now if, if ever I'm traveling or something and some little bit of dairy is in some dish or something, I can tell instantly because my nose goes gook. So that's, uh, that's a very clear sign that dairy and I are not supposed to be cohabiting in this body. <laughs> All right. Uh, now... You, did you have another question, Paige? Because we've got another caller. Well, oh, okay. You have another caller. I just wanted to say 31 days. I'm curious about why you chose 31 days. Um, okay. You're 21 or something. So thank you so Good much. Question. Well, to be there's a couple reasons for that. 31 Day Food Revolution is all about how you can heal your body and your world with food. And uh, it is a 31 day kind of a program. So I'll be honest, there's two reasons. One is there's a lot of science showing that it could take about a month to build new habits. And so the whole goal is to help people implement healthy habits that can last for a lifetime. The other is that, quite frankly, my grandpa started 31 Flavors Ice Cream Company. <laughs> and so part of my message is that in the long run, you can have more happiness and even more pleasure from 31 days of healthy food choices than from 31 Flavors of Ice Cream. So, um, so that's what the, the central thesis. But the book has four parts. Part one is about detoxifying and it's how we can get rid of the bad stuff. Part two is about nourishing. It's how we can say yes to the good superfoods that can help us thrive. 
part three is gather. It's about building your social community because a lot of times, you know, we tend to become more like the people around us and they tend to become more like us. So how do you be a, how do you be a leader and how do you build stronger social connection around healthy food so you don't have to feel lonely or isolated when you do the right thing? And then fourth is transform. It's how we can change the food world for the better, change the world for the better with our food choices. And we look at policies and social impact and environment and sustainability and how it all connects to the food on our plates. So that's kind of the journey we take people on in this book. And every single chapter, there's 31 chapters, ends with simple action steps you can take to apply what you're learning. Fantastic. We've got another caller, Steve in Dallas, Texas. Your question or thought for Ocean Robbins. So, yeah, I want to share a story. When I was a kid, I would see these commercials on TV. If, if I just drink milk, then I can grow bigger than my bullies. And, <laughs> and of course, they use a different actor, you know, in the before and after. I drank milk like crazy as a kid growing up, and I'm still very short. The shortest kid in class, never grew an inch uh, compared to others. And so, I don't know, I, I felt lied to, uh, but that commercial had such an impact on me, even into adulthood. I would, Gary was such a big part of my life before I made the switch. Um, I, I had no idea. These advertising, you know, they get at kids. What are your thoughts on that? Great question. Yeah, you know, we've been taught that milk does a body good. We, we've been taught that everybody needs milk. Um, and the, the truth is that we kind of been lied to. We have a industry that's profiting off the sale of dairy products, but you know, humans are the only uh, animal in the world that consumes the milk of another species. And we're also the only animal in the world that consumes any milk after infancy. So you know, this notion that it's natural and normal to drink bovine milk, utter, bovine udder secretions is really an artificial uh, construct that's been developed by humans and, and really promoted and pushed very hard by the dairy industry. Um, and so uh, at the end of the day, milk is nature's most perfect food for a baby cow, but not really for humans. And so we're seeing all sorts of health problems that unfold when we consume dairy products. And it's also uh, causing environmental problems and, you know, depleting our water. I live in the state of California and we have a lot of water concerns in the Western United States. And a huge amount of our water is going to livestock production. And in my state in particular, it's going to the dairy industry. Um, and uh, we talk about almonds and almond milk and the environmental impacts of that. And almonds are one of the most thirsty crops, no doubt about it. But, uh, Actually, bovine milk uses even more water than almond milk does. Um, and people don't talk about that nearly as much. So from my perspective, uh, dairy, the human body has absolutely no need for the utter secretions of, of bovine creatures. We do very well without that. Um, and there, from a culinary perspective, there are lots of awesome plant milks that taste great and can kind of hit the spot um, without the health problems that come with dairy. You know, dairy, dairy products uh, tend to promote IGF-1 in the human body, which increases risk of cancer. Um, they, they tend to throw our hormones out of whack, which can increase the risk of other forms of cancer, including hormone-related cancers. Um, and uh, of course, they're also pretty cruel. Baby cows are ripped away from their mothers at birth so that we can take all that milk for humans. The cows end up either becoming four-legged milk pumps or else they're shipped off to become veal or, you know, meat 
for human flesh consumption, but uh, the dairy industry itself, the cows are often in very close quarters. Many of them don't see the sun or a blade of grass. They're, they're just living in miserable conditions. And that's something that, you know, I personally do not want to support with my dollars and don't want to consume in my body. We've got yet another caller, and this one is Michelle from Los Angeles. Your question or thought for Ocean Robbins. Hi, thank you so much. And I just wanted to say your story, Ocean, is remarkable. Um, I was able to uh, reverse my mom's Alzheimer's and get her off her 16 medications by putting her on a healthy plant-based diet. Uh, one of the first things we cut was dairy. Um, I grew up eating ice cream. I used to love Baskin-Robbins. Um, what are some tips that you have that maybe you can um, encourage family and close friends to to go plant-based without being, um, I don't know, they're put off when I'm constantly, they think I'm lecturing them. Like, do you have tips to make it easy and, and more um, enjoyable to, like, look into being more plant-based? And have you thought, of maybe like 31 flavors, all vegan and plant-based? <laughs> uh, well, last question first. Uh, sure, I've thought about it. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, my, my family has no relationship to the company uh, anymore. So uh, that, that Baskin-Robbins is now owned by a larger mega conglomerate and, you know, they'll do what they do. Um, they are coming out with some vegan flavors. I would hesitate to call them plant-based because they are loaded with sugar and chemicals and other stuff that I personally do not wish to consume. And um, I don't particularly imagine that they're healthier. Um, this, is, this is not really, uh, you know, the direction I think we need to move in as a society if we want to break away from a toxic food culture isn't towards vegan versions of junk food. I think it's towards healthy food, right? And so that's my vision. Um, that said, would I love to see Baskin-Robbins be piloting the world of banana and ice creams and amazing sorbets like we make in our home every day. Absolutely. Um, but that's not really, unfortunately, something I have much influence over, except by hopefully creating some cultural demand for this stuff. As far as how to influence people, though, a uh, great question and so important. You know, uh, vegans as a whole don't have the best reputation in the wider culture. There's that old joke like, how do you know if someone's a vegan? Oh, don't worry, they'll tell you, you know, because <laughs> vegans tend to be, uh, you know, passionate, shall we say, uh, about about things. My personal perspective is that, um, well, I, I come back to this this um, quote from Dr. Martin Luther King. He said, you know, you have no moral authority with those who can feel your underlying contempt. When we pathologize mm. people, when we judge people- You say that again, That that's very powerful. Yeah. He said, you have no moral authority with those who can feel your underlying contempt. So when we, when we pathologize people, when we hold them with disrespect, we lose moral standing in the relationship. And so any of us who think, oh, I eat better than you, I'm better than you, I know better than you, my religion's better than you, my politics are better than you, in some way that disregards the fundamental decency of another life form on this planet, we lose moral standing. And in a world that is being ripped apart by ideologies and fundamentalism and, and disrespect, I think we need to, you know, there's a way that you can stand deeply for your principles and your values. You can live in accordance with what you believe is right in a way that hopefully also upholds the dignity, the fundamental sovereignty of other beings. And so this is what I seek to do. I know it's complex, but 
that's one of the core principles. So I realized you can lead a horse to water. You can't make it drink, as they say. You can you can show somebody a book or a film or or tell them why you eat the way you do. You can make them great food that's plant based and show them how delicious it is. But at the end of the day, they're going to make the choices that make sense to them. And they'll probably make them easier if they don't have to feel threatened or defensive or like you're judging them or trying to shove your ideology down their throats because people get defensive and reactive and they shut down and they get protective and then they're not open and they're not creative and they're not capable of making the choices that they might otherwise make in their own best interests. Wow. I could tear you all day on that subject. We've got yet another caller, Susan in Dallas, Texas. Your question for Ocean Robbins. Hi. Hi. I, I, first, I want to really thank you, uh, John, for everything. You, uh, John. <laughs> Ocean, for everything <laughs> you do. I read your, your dad's books years ago, and they so impressed me. And every time I read the chapter on pigs, I tear up. Just wonderful stuff. I was wondering, though, I'm a member of the Food Revolution Network. I've attended your seminars, love them. And maybe um, you could tell people how they could get your emails. Oh, yes. Because I love so, <laughs> Okay. There's lots of different pathways in, uh, lots of them. So if you go to foodrevolution.org, you can see our website. We've got hundreds and hundreds of articles on critical food and health topics. Search around there and check it out. If there's something you've ever wondered about food or health or lifestyle or diet, you'll probably find it there. Um, and then we have lots of master classes and films and other resources you can register for right from the homepage. And then um, we have an annual Food Revolution Summit that's coming up. Uh, we're going to open registration in about a month. Uh, so that will be at foodrevolutionsummit.org. You can go there now and register for last year's summit, which is also amazing. But next year's summit's coming up. It's going to be a documentary series, 12 hours of videos. And we're so excited. My dad and I are hosting it together this year. So, um, yeah, you can register. Again, foodrevolutionsummit.org will get you last year's or starting around April 1st. It'll get you next this next year's. Um, and then, um, yeah, you can. You, my dad and I created a master class called Food for Health which really walks you through the fundamentals of healthy lifestyle in a 90-minute masterclass. And if you go to thriving.foodrevolution.org, you can, you can register for that. So those are a few of the top resources. There's lots and lots of them. And of course, 31 Day Food Revolution is my newest best-selling book. And that's available online or lots of other places. And I'm just so excited to be able to capture kind of my family's lifetime legacy here into one book that really walks you through implementation. And that's the cornerstone. It's not just knowing what to do. It's doing what you know that makes the difference, you know, because a lot of us know we need to eat, you know, more vegetables and less processed junk and more plants and less animals. And, you know, we've known that for a long time. But at the end of the day, implementation is the sticky wicket for a lot of us. And so this is all about helping people cross that bridge and uh, oh. so you can get the results. Wow, yes. Okay, our next caller, Joe in Virginia Beach. Your question or thought for the author of 31 Day Food Revolution, Ocean Robbins. Hey, thank you, Jane uh, Unchained and um, Ocean Robbins, sir. Thank you so much for your leadership and promoting compassion. I, I have uh, allergies from animal secretion, so I used to consume a lot of uh, Baskin Robbins uh, animal secretion products earlier before I became vegan. And uh, when I I quit dairy, then 
my allergies have, and asthma have disappeared. And I was kind of really shocked to see when I saw the documentary Mark Dood or Mother's Milk, which is free on YouTube, as to how so many allergens are related to consumption of animal secretions. So I'm so glad that uh, Mr. Robbins, that your Baskin Robbins has a plant-based option. So would you have any uh, consideration about putting allergen-free on your plant-based uh, uh, ice creams or plant-based products? In well, well, as I think again, I mentioned, I'm, I'm not, my family, my grandpa sold Baskin Robbins in the late 1960s when my dad chose not to join him in running it. So, um, I, you know, there's been no family connection to it for many decades now, other than a name. So, um, you know, we right, tell the but story, but uh, at this point, Baskin Robbins is its own thing and, and I don't have any influence there. Um, but uh, sure, allergen free and non-dairy and whole foods based and sugar-free are all wonderful directions. Well, while we're talking about ice cream, though, let me share my favorite frozen dessert, I'll call it, is that we, we have a Vitamix. You can also even do this in a regular blender, and you blend up frozen bananas with a little bit of unsweetened soy milk, or you can use any plant milk of your choice. Add some vanilla, maybe some nutmeg, uh, if you want to go in that direction, or you can also go in the direction of adding vanilla and then adding maybe some frozen mangoes or frozen strawberries and you can get different flavors of soft serve you can put it into a cone um and it's just just so good <laughs> you have to consume it right away because it's soft serve style so you can't stick it in the freezer it'll get hard but it's soft serve style it's just the most delicious ice cream cone in the world and you know we have that so often our kids love it and it's just <laughs> delicious and super healthy you don't have to feel guilty at all well i just so happened to have last night Put it in the Nutribullet, mango, banana, uh, non-alcoholic vanilla, a little stevia, and one tablespoon of maple syrup. Is that okay? <laughs> it's very okay, Jane. Uh, <laughs> I personally don't use the maple syrup because I find the bananas make it plenty sweet. But my goodness, do what works for you. That sounds just amazing. I'm salivating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I have to ask you about the whole Baskin-Robbins thing, and I totally get it. It's a big multinational corporation right now. You have no control over it. But I did go on, and I have had vegan Baskin-Robbins. I tried it once, yeah. and it was actually quite delicious. Do you think the fact that your dad and you are both so famous and you've done so much to wake people up to the hazards of dairy, that it has influenced this company to add more non-dairy options? Because let's face it, that's where a lot of the kids are at. And that's the future. If you're a marketer, you want to appeal yeah. to the next generation. You know, I was um, talking with a senior vice president of Nestle a, a couple of years ago, and she was telling me about, she said, I'll, I'll be honest with you we haven't exactly prioritized health. We've made products. Our goal has been to create food products that are tasty and that, that make tasty food easy and affordable for as many people as possible. But health has taken a backseat. She said, but the trouble is whenever we do move towards healthier options, they don't always sell well. And I realized then, oh my gosh, you know, it doesn't do anybody any good if everybody who does the right thing goes out of business. We've got to make it profitable to serve healthy foods. And that's where consumer demand kicks in. So I think that all of us who are having these kinds of conversations, we're helping to change food culture and create demand for healthier options. And absolutely, I think Baskin Robbins is feeling that. I think Burger King is feeling that. I think McDonald's is even feeling that. 
we're seeing major brands that are having shorter ingredient lists that are coming out with organic options and of course that are coming out with vegan options um, all through the supply chain. And you know, major companies from Tyson Foods on down are investing in plant-based meats. They're realizing that that's the future, that, that from an environmental perspective, from a health perspective, and from a public demand perspective, we've got to start moving in this direction. Absolutely. Before we go to the break, we have one more caller, Annie, in Sherman Oaks, your question for Ocean Robbins. Hello, thank you for having me in Ocean Robbins. It's so wonderful to see you and the book you created. Um, I would love to see anything with your name and some dessert that's being sold because you have a trail of people running around knowing your name and <laughs> you're really incredible and I'm impressed by you, you yeah. know? So thank you. So what do you think? <laughs> Who knows? The future the future is vast and when you eat well it may be even vaster. <laughs> well, I mean she does raise a really good point is that your name for better or for worse, you know, you're associated with Baskin Robbins and a lot of people know the story. It's quite a famous story how your dad walked away from undoubtedly many, 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 many millions, who knows, even a yeah. billion to, to write a book and to follow his conscience. And so it would be something if there was a way to uh, make a super healthy ice cream and market it, it could be like the alternative. I certainly would buy it because <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm a recovering alcoholic, 27 years sober, and it's very common that we develop a sweet tooth because alcohol metabolizes into mm. sugar. Mm -hmm. So that's one of my big um, craving challenges is how to have something sweet, especially at night, before I go to sleep, that's not going to wreck my diet. And um, it usually, that's why I came up with that mango thing. But, you know, you want to yeah. have a little variation. I mean, I, I don't know. Have you ever thought of it? Of course. Sure, I have. You know, and uh, who knows? <laughs> the seed is planted, as it were. Um, well, I have to say, there's so many people who have questions for you. Um, we're going to take a short break. On the other side, we're going to dive deep into the food revolution and the toxic secrets the food industry does not want you to know. Stay right there. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. 
Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. Welcome back to Unchained TV on Voice America Radio. I'm Jane Velez Mitchell, and you are now re-entering a portal to a transformative way of living. We are so absolutely excited to have Ocean Robbins, who is the author of this wild bestseller, and it is 31 Day Food Revolution, showing to you right here. He's also the son of the amazing John Robbins, who wrote the really iconic diet for a new America. And why does this man look so happy all the time? Because he's <laughs> eating a whole food plant-based diet. Okay. We're going to do two quick callers and then I have questions. So Michael in Los Angeles, your question or thought for ocean Robbins. Hey, good morning, Jane. Good morning. Ocean. Yeah. Really quickly. I want to tell a quick story about how giving up dairy actually saved my life. Uh, I became vegetarian about 25 years ago and about 10 years ago, I developed a really uh, uh, bad sinus infection that was like constant. I was suffering, you know, day and night. I couldn't sleep. And I went to the doctor. They just gave me more antibiotics. This went on for like two years, two, three years straight. And finally one day I just gave up dairy. And from that day on, I have not had a single infection. It, it's like mm. a miracle. I know yeah. that another caller said the same thing and you said the same thing. Oh, so you could breathe through your nose again. Oh my God, I was ready to commit to it. I'm, I was very close. I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't breathe. And I was taking mm. constant medication. So I just want to get that word out that it could be a life-saving thing to give up dairy. You know, Michael, thank you for raising that. It, the National Institutes of Health says that a majority of people are lactose intolerant. And yet the USDA, um, USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, which is run by a dairy industry trade group leader, Tom Vilsack is a dairy executive running the United States Department of Agriculture. They keep pushing dairy on kids. Yes. The global majority is allergic. Why is this not a scandal? Well, and, and let's go further and just call it what it is. I mean, it's not just the global majority but it's particularly the vast majority of people of indigenous descent, African-American descent, in general, people of color around the world, Asian descent, tend to be the most lactose intolerant. It's only people of European descent that are not in the majority on that, although still many are lactose intolerant. So you could say that the USDA's pushing of dairy products for everybody and giving it, giving them to schools and, you know, promoting their sale in massive ways with subsidies, et cetera, is actually a form of racism. Because mm. at the end of the day, we are making huge portions of our population and particularly communities of color sick. And 
while we're on that topic, let me just add another layer to this here because I'm somebody, I'm sure a lot of people watching would agree with me on this. I'm somebody who would like to see a world where everybody has their needs met, where everybody can live in dignity, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of how much money they have. I think everybody should have health, healthy food, an opportunity for a healthy life, an opportunity to make healthy choices. And right now, statistically, the poorer you are, and also statistically, the darker your skin color, the more likely you are to die prematurely from preventable chronic illness. So this is just really worth addressing because uh, statistically, people of color in the United States today are more likely to die sooner from chronic conditions, including cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, cancer, um, and all of the other major preventable chronic illnesses of our times. And so what's happening is the very communities, the very people who can least afford to get sick are getting sick the most. And this is creating cycles of intergenerational poverty where people who are dying prematurely of preventable chronic disease are also sapping their fi family's financial resources in their later years. And then they have nothing to give to their kids. So inheritances don't happen. And families are saddled with debt that passes on to the next generation instead. So for those of us who want economic prosperity and opportunity for all, I think that food is one of the most fundamental social justice issues of our times. And it becomes imperative for a government that supposedly is out to look for the disadvantaged and the poor and the marginalized the most, right? That's the idea is that we take care of people, right? That's at least theoretically. And yet we have a government that is pushing and subsidizing and promoting the sale of products that are making people sick and making the poorest, the sickest, the fastest. You said it. Um, can I just say Ocean Robbins for president? Is that allowed? <laughs> <laughs> you can I'm say serious. it. <laughs> Marion Williamson is running for president. You could do it too. Um, all right. You know, uh, we've got so many callers for you. There's many questions. No more callers after these last two, okay? Because uh, I do have a couple of questions. Sarah in Los Angeles, your question or thought for Ocean Robbins. Hi, I have a question for you. Do you have your, um, your guide available to give out to the public if we wanted to give, like, leaflets out about it? And also, do you live in or around Los Angeles where you could go and talk to um, schools or how do you get this into like all the, the young kids where they really need the education? Thank you. Well, uh, we do have a guide to going plant-based. Um, I'm just looking up right now to see if I'm remembering what the, uh, uh, what the website is for that. Um, but um, let's see. Nope. That's you not can it. always put it up afterwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, it's it's uh, uh, we, we, if you go if you search on foodrevolution.org and you just search for um, guide to going plant based or going plant based, I'm sure you'll pull up our article, which the guide is just a version of that in sort of PDF form. Um, and that kind of walks people through it. And then, of course, 31 Day Food Revolution is a deeper guide to helping folks go plant based. Unfortunately, it's not available for free, but, um, you know, it's a pretty deep uh, transformative journey and it really doesn't cost that much. Um, but I'm sorry, what was the other? Oh, am I in Los Angeles? I'm in Santa Cruz, California. Um, oh. So that's, that's where I'm based. It's about what a beautiful place to be from. North of LA. 
All right, Lindsay and Tarzana, your question or thought for Ocean Robbins. Much for taking my call, oh, Lindsay. Um, my question, my question is, uh, in in terms of trying to help spread the word, do you have any uh, gear that we can purchase and wear as a talking point or a conversation starter? Thank you. Oh, swag. Uh, Having gone there, Food Revolution Network, for the most part, has sought to be pretty much 100% virtual, um, just to reduce sort of environmental impact. Um, you know, we always struggle with, like, if we made t-shirts and things, well, are they going to be out of all organic cotton? And then it gets really expensive. But if you don't do that, then is that aligned with our values? And But is it aligned with our values to sell stuff that's really costly? So I think anybody, you know, has to wrestle with those kinds of questions. But, um, you know, at this point, uh, you can spread the word uh, in lots and lots of ways. Unfortunately, swag isn't, isn't currently on the list. All right. I want to ask you some questions because I have one. We know that the farm bill is coming up for renewal in the fall of this mm -hmm. year. It will determine to a large part, I believe, you know, whether we're going to barrel toward a climate apocalypse or, or turn mm -hmm. in a healthy direction. And it doesn't seem that either administration, you know, it's a bipartisan problem in terms of this um, inability to do very simple math uh, that whether you're talking about climate change, destroying all the trees to grow cattle grazing or to grow commodity crops like soybeans, most of which is fed to farmed animals, uh, if you talk about the health problems, if you talk about uh, just, you know, how we're destroying our planet um, to perpetuate an industry that is bad for people and is certainly very cruel to animals. Um, you have 700,000 people that is your peaceful, I don't want to say army, but your team. How can you motivate them to um, hit Congress hard because honestly, I was watching a very progressive, perhaps the most liberal TV network and they were talking about prices and they were like, well, nobody can do without eggs and milk. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh my God, are you in the 1950s? I mean, I was just like, I'm so shocked by sort of the willful denial on both sides of the aisle uh, on this topic. Um, what can we do to break through? Because the clock's ticking. You know, this is going to be approved in October. And if yeah. we will get some kind of subsidy <laughs> shift from commodity crops to fruits, vegetables, nuts, and grains that humans actually eat, we're going to mm -hmm. be in serious trouble. So I was recently at the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health. Um, the president was there. And, um, you know, there was a lot of great conversation that unfolded. And um, I have to say I was somewhat heartened uh, by at least the theoretical evolution of government policy uh, on some of these issues. There was specific language on supporting uh, more plant-based options for environmental and public health reasons. There was specific explicit support for you know, um, reducing dependence on industrialized animal agriculture, for, for supporting for example, a couple of programs that are very dear to my heart. One is the Double Up Bucks program, which would double the value of SNAP dollars um, when used for fruits and vegetables, or produce prescriptions, which is focused on giving uh, a uh, the opportunity for doctors to prescribe fruits and vegetables and have them covered, reimbursed by insurance. Um, so you can get 
fruits and vegetables, not just drugs and surgeries paid for. Um, I think these are potentially big steps. Um, I do see some policy changes emerging. Senator Cory Booker yeah. is on the Senate Agricultural Committee. He's a dear friend. He actually read my dad's book when he was in college at Stanford. It changed his life. He's been vegetarian and now more recently vegan. And uh, he's really the leader in government policy on these issues. Um, I'm not in the state of New Jersey, but I consider him my senator, honestly. Um, and so uh, you could check out really any of his work on ag policy, and it's consistently spot on. Um, he's he's uh, recently reintroduced a package of bills that are aimed at reforming agriculture in the United States. They're the Farm Systems Reform Act, the Industrial Agriculture Accountability Act, um, and Protect America's Children, Children from Toxic Pesticides Act. Um, and so you could sort of find out anything he's doing and then tell all of your uh, members of Congress or Senate, call them, write them, lobby and say, hey, I want you to support this <laughs> because Senator Booker really is leading the charge. And um, not that well, there are- Can I jump in on that? Because I'm involved for many years in all sorts of campaigns. And what I've realized over the years is if it's not something where, and there are organizations that are very good at this, you hit a button, you send your mm -hmm. uh, letter automatically to your two U.S. senators and your member of Congress. I do it several times a week. I mean, is there a way to get your uh, uh, enormous, almost a million people team mm -hmm. to um, sign those automatic letters? Because they don't read yeah. the letters. They, they do number counts. And uh, yeah. some staff member says, OK, we've gotten 14,000 emails about this. You better pay attention to it. I mean, it's sure. that simple. They do. Uh, they're of limited impact. They are of impact. Uh, what's of more impact is calls, certainly. This is a constituent call, you say. You call the Capitol switchboard. Say I'm calling as a constituent of so-and-so. You have to be in their district for it to count. And then you say, I'm calling to register my opinion. I'd like to ask you to pass along to the senator or representative so-and-so. My opinion is one of their constituents. And then you tell them what your opinion is. It's yes or no on this or that. Um, you can, in many cases, set up meetings with especially representatives, members of Congress. Um, they have 15-minute slots. They come to your district. They have listening times. They are open for that. So you can contact your local district office for, for your representative. Harder to get in with senators, not impossible, depending on what state you're in. A state like Idaho, it's going to be easier than a state like California, because obviously there's a different ratio of people population wise. Um, but uh, you can absolutely make that happen. And particularly if you're a business leader, you may be able to leverage that. Um, and so, um, you know, I think there's there's a lot of opportunity to get your voice heard legislatively. I totally agree, Jane. This is this is critical. Um, I also I mean, I focus mostly on uh, education and helping people be the solution in their own lives, because I believe if the people lead, the leaders will follow. But I also believe that sometimes we've got to push them. <laughs> you know, Dr. <laughs> King said it. He said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but I believe it bends towards justice. I would add to that, it doesn't bend all by itself. Mm-hmm. It does not. So where do you see us in terms of our evolution to a compassionate, sustainable, plant-based diet globally. Because actually, um, we did at Unchained TV a documentary called Countdown to Year Zero, where we interviewed some experts who say at the rate we're destroying wildlife, literally we'll have no wildlife, um, wildlife vertebrates, you know, the, the mm -hmm. Tigers Alliance, within a decade, except in zoos, and that once we truly decimate 
uh, the natural world, we will experience an ecological collapse that could threaten our own survival as a species. Yeah. Um, where do you see us going? Uh, particularly just in the last couple of weeks, I've seen a lot of pushback by mainstream media against plant-based meats, what they would call hit jobs on um, mm-hmm. plant-based meat, uh, cell-based meat, um, alternative to actual animals. Well, we're in a crisis as a species. I mean, we're on a collision course with um, systemic environmental collapse. And if we do not change our course, we're going to end up where we're headed and it's not pretty. I mean, if the human body goes up temperature by like three degrees, you have a serious fever and you feel awful. If you go by about seven degrees, you could die. You know, nine degrees, you probably will, right? we're actually very closely balanced. And although the Earth's temperatures change and fluctuate a lot from ecosystem to ecosystem in different parts of the world and different seasons, the totality of it is incredibly complex and incredibly fine-tuned. And all of life has built itself on the rhythms of nature and it's evolved in response to that. If we have a sudden dramatic change in temperature, which is what we are beginning to experience, we we could witness a level of environmental apocalypse within our lifetimes that it's hard to fathom. And right now we are uh, destroying the earth's ecosystems at a terrifying rate. And we're running out of land, water, and soil on which to grow food for future generations. It, it, for the last number of decades, we've grown more than enough food to feed humanity. As of right now, we've reached a tipping point where that is not the case because of the way we are using the calories we grow. But this is the good news, and I think it's really good news. Uh, according to one massive study of reviewing over 40,000 farms around the world, researchers concluded that uh, 80% of the world's agricultural land is being used for animal agriculture um, to produce 18% of the world's calories. So we kind of have a protein factory in reverse. When you cycle calories through animals, you get a massive loss of efficiency because you're going up the food chain. And the calories they consume don't all go into flesh or milk or eggs. A lot of them go into hoof and hide and bones and manure and energy the animal uses to move around. And so when you get that waste, you have that inefficiency. And so we wind up using huge amounts of our land either to graze cattle and other livestock or to grow feed to feed to our livestock, which is super inefficient. So the good news is that if we were to go plant-based, just so just play with me for a second. Imagine that the whole world went vegan tomorrow. Probably not gonna happen, but, but if it did, we would instantly free up an area of land equivalent to the totality of the United States, China, the European Union, and Australia combined. All that land mass would be instantly freed up, which we could use to grow organic food for future generations or to have solar and wind farms up the kazoo. You know, we could use that land to have plenty of space for human habitat or for rewilding, which could help to restore our precious ecosystems, provide habitat for endangered species. We would stop chopping down and burning the tropical rainforests and forests around the globe to create grazing land for cattle. We'd start to regenerate and replenish and regrow our forests, rewild our ecosystems and create quite frankly, something pretty darn close to a utopia if that's what we chose to do with it. So that is an opportunity that is available to us. So anybody talks about world hunger, they talk about Ukraine and the food crisis and the price of food, you know, 
we got to come back to this topic of what are we doing with the calories we grow and why are we wasting so many of them by feeding them to livestock? Wow. Well, again, like I said, Ocean Robbins for president, even if you were just to be on the debate stage to get that information out to the general public, uh, because there are, you know, independent candidates who do do get coverage. Um, and, you know, what I want to ask you is a personal question. I'm always flabbergasted that otherwise highly intelligent people, I mean, Rhodes Scholars, uh, people who are the movers and shakers, the intelligentsia, by the way, the best and the brightest was a sarcastic title. <laughs> the best <laughs> and the brightest brought us the Vietnam War. And um, but you know, why is it that they can't get this fundamental concept? I mean, it's just so it's not higher math. Eight billion humans eating 80 billion animals. It's not sustainable. We like to do what is familiar to us. I mean, for all of our innovation and creativity, and humans are brilliant and bright, we're also fundamentally creatures of habit. And we like to do what's familiar and what's comfortable. And for a lot of us, we associate food with love, with safety, with happiness, with our childhood memories of connection. And so you, you want to take that away from somebody, they could feel very defensive and very protected, like something of their basic essence is being stolen from them. So what we have to do is learn how to rewire our brains so that we recognize that there's a lot more happiness in health than in sickness. Rewire our, our relationships to how we perceive love so that we realize it's, it's no act of love for your body to feed yourself crap and make yourself sick. If you want to love yourself, nourish yourself, care for yourself. You deserve it. You know, we celebrate birthdays and weddings and parties with junk food that makes us sick, right? We, we reward kids for good behavior with foods that hook them on a life of sugar addiction. We've got to repattern that so that we realize we deserve another kind of love that comes from health and vitality and nourishment and wellness. And so I think that a lot of our, our I mean, doctors classically don't talk about food with their patients for a couple of reasons. One is that they live in a, we live in a sick care system. We call it healthcare, but really it's not about caring for health. It's about treating the symptoms of chronic disease and that's where the money is. But also they didn't learn about it in medical school. The average physician in all their years of medical training gets less than 19 hours of nutritional education. And most of that is wrong or is focused only on specific nutrient deficiencies and vitamins, not on what to eat and how to help patients eat well. But third is that they, like our political leaders, eat themselves. Mm. And yeah. it's very difficult for someone to promote something. You know, uh, thank goodness, hypocrisy, as rampant as it is, <laughs> is still a little bit hard to come by in some places. People are not going to generally promote plant-based food if they're not able to sustain it in their own lives. Exactly. People are very attached to that. And, you know, uh, I sometimes think it would be easier to... to um, you know, get people to change their gender than to get them to change their diet, you know? Um, and so I'm interested in, in helping people to, to soften that so we can start to act in our own best interests. Because the truth is, if we continue the way we've been going, we're going to die of heart attacks and, and cancer, and we're going to destroy the planet. I think on that note, we have to leave it right there. We're out of time, but I want to end with Karen's coins comment. Good idea. He should run for president, even if 
just to get more attention on the vegan message and get more people to read Ocean and John Robbins books. <laughs> on you. that note, thank you, Ocean. You are an amazing, amazing voice for our movement. We love you. So honored to have you here on Unchained TV. See you next time, everybody. Woo! Down. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.